The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 9, Of Free Will, Paragraphs 4 and 5. When God converts a sinner and translates him into the state of grace, he freeth him from his natural bondage under sin, and by his grace alone enables him freely to will and to do that which is spiritually good. Yet so, as that by reason of his remaining corruption... He doth not perfectly, nor only will that which is good, but doth also will that which is evil. Paragraph 5. The will of man is made perfectly and immutably free to good alone, in the state of glory alone. Friends, thank you for returning to our podcast this week. Apologies for the absence of the podcast in the past week or so. And my family and I were away for half-term holidays. So let's remind ourselves where we have got to in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 9. Well, the first paragraph tells us that humans are not robots. We make choices every single day, and no one or nothing forces us into them. G.I. Williamson once wrote, Man is free to do what he wants to do within the limits of his ability. Paragraph 2 tells us that in our state of innocency, we had freedom and power to will and to do that which was good and well-pleasing to God. That freedom was mutable, so we might fall from it, says that paragraph, and fall we did. But R.C. Sproul says here that before the fall, human beings had the moral capacity or the moral ability to choose righteousness and obedience before God. Unfortunately, as paragraph 3 tells us, we have lost this moral capacity or moral ability. Paragraph 3 states that man by his fall into a state of sin has wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. We are dead in sin and we are not by our own strength able to convert ourselves or to prepare ourselves for conversion. We have lost the ability not to sin. We are born in sin We are dead in sin and cannot do anything to help ourselves spiritually. So, to sum up, we are not robots, but after the fall, we are entirely sinful creatures. Therefore, we walk willingly in sin. It is our nature. We desire to sin and we cannot blame anyone else. However, if this sounds like bad news, and indeed bad news it is, paragraph 4 gives us the good news. It begins by stating that when God converts a sinner and translates him into the state of grace, he frees him from his natural bondage under sin. 
Something absolutely dramatic happens when we are converted to Christ. It is not just a decision one night at church. It is not putting a hand in the air or signing a card to say that you have prayed a certain kind of prayer. When God converts us, when God transforms a sinner, he moves them from death to life. He moves them from that place where they are dead in sin and he makes them alive in Christ. It is by grace you have been saved, as the Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians. Paul also tells us in Colossians chapter 1, in verses 13 to 14, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. This is wonderful language. We have been delivered. We have been transferred. We have redemption in Christ and the forgiveness of sins. God converts us and translates us into the state of grace, freed absolutely from our natural bondage under sin. Jesus tells us this in John chapter 8, verses 34 to 36. Jesus said unto them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We are no longer, says Jesus, slaves to sin. We have been set free. And to use the language of Paul in the book of Romans, we are now slaves to righteousness. Our chains are gone. Our bondage to sin is gone. Our debt has been paid. We are saved and will stand in the judgment. We can look forward to eternity with Christ. This has happened dramatically, wonderfully, once and for all. God has translated us into the state of grace as he converted us to Christ, freed absolutely from our natural bondage under sin. As a popular song of our day says, Our chains are gone. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 6 and verses 6 to 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. As we will see later in this episode, sin still will play a role in our lives. But for the Christian... It is no longer our master. For the Christian, we have been radically transformed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the working of the Holy Spirit. Things are powerfully different now. Our old self has been crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. My friends, as you hear this today, you probably have heard it before. You know it. You've understood it perhaps as your own pastor or minister has preached it to you. But rejoice today in the fact that because of what Jesus has done, you have been set free from sin. The wages of that sin is death. But today, my friend, you have no longer anything to fear from death. You have been born again. You have been born twice. And therefore, you will die only once. The paragraph continues by stating that by God's grace alone, he enables us freely to will and to do that which is spiritually good. R.C. Sproul puts it this way in his book, Before conversion, we are free to sin. After conversion, we are free to sin or to obey God. Previously, we were slaves to sin. 
But now God has taken us to a place where we can, will and do that which is spiritually good. And so here we see what the Christian life is like after a conversion. We are saved to follow. We are saved to obey. We are saved to honour God in our lives with our words, with our actions and in all our ways. It is important to note here that we do not add to our salvation after conversion. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The spiritual good that God has now enabled us to do does not save us. We do not get into God's good books by grace and then stay in by works. No, salvation is all of God and all of grace from start to finish. But now that we have been set free from sin, God in his grace enables us to do that which is spiritually good. Paul says this in Philippians 2 and verse 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The apostle is clear. The Lord is working in us. The Lord pushes us and prods us every single day. The Lord is growing us up in the faith. The Lord speaks to us and transforms us by his word and spirit. He is sanctifying us. He is transforming us to the image of Christ our Savior. And we have been set free from our sin for this exact purpose. And so as Paul writes in Romans 6, Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. And verse 22, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. We have been set free from sin and enabled to will and do that which is spiritually good. We have been set free from sin and set on a life of sanctification, whereby word and spirit and the grace of God, we are being transformed. And as Paul is confident, so can we be today. Confident of this, that the one who has begun this work in us will bring it to a conclusion at the day of Christ. And yet even as we have been set free to do that which is spiritually good, a war still rages within each and every Christian. You and I know all too well that as believers, none of us are perfect. Sometimes the world looks at the church and expects to see perfection. And it is absolutely surprised when it does not find men and women who get everything right all the time. As believers, we get angry. As believers, we sin. As believers, we fight and split and divide. What is going on with those Christians? Well, the answer comes again in this paragraph. We have been set free from sin. We are now able to do that which is spiritually good. But the paragraph continues by stating, Yet so... As that by reason of his remaining corruption, he doth not perfectly nor only will that which is good, but doth also will that which is evil. In other words, the Christian man or woman will continue to sin by reason of his or her remaining corruption. You and I may be Christians, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but there is an old man or woman that still lives within us. We are still men and women who are sinful in many, many ways. That remaining corruption is the reason that we do not perfectly will that which is good. We do not always do that which is right and God-honoring. But sometimes we also will do 
that which is evil. The scriptures show us this spiritual battle that goes on in the lives of every believer. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes, The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Here is this fight in every Christian's life between the flesh and between the spirit. You and I are being made more like Christ every single day, but that work is not yet complete. That remaining corruption wages war against the spirit. And sometimes as we look in the mirror, it seems to us and feels to us that the flesh is overcoming. Paul speaks of his own life in Romans chapter 7. He says, I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Paul goes on and calls himself in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And of course, as he completes his argument in verse 25, he reminds us who the deliverer is. Thanks be to God, he says, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Every single one of us is this wretch. Every single one of us every day will know this battle between doing the things that please and honour God and doing the things of the flesh. And sometimes we leave a conversation and we think, how did I end up gossiping once more? Sometimes as we drive home in the car, we are stunned with the rage that has come out in us. Sometimes we are amazed by the sinful thoughts that grip our minds. This is the war every single day for the believer. It is why we need to be much in prayer, much in repentance, and much putting to death the body of sin. And we do it by immersing ourselves in the word of God, by spending time in his presence, by crying out to him that he would continue his good work in us. And we can do it with confidence. John tells us in 1 John 1 and verse 8 onwards, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. But verse 9 gives us the good news as we repent daily and cry out unto Jesus. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Christian life is a battle. It is a war between the old man and the new, between the flesh and by the spirit. But just in case you believe that that war is being lost in your own life, and just in case you are worried today that perhaps you will somehow slip through the fingers of Jesus because you are constantly slipping and stumbling into the same old path and the same old sin, listen to these wonderful, encouraging words from Teddy Donnelly in his book about the Apostle Peter. Receiving Christ in faith is not an ending but a beginning. We will never be able to obey perfectly in this present life never able to overcome all personal sin. 
But as far as our standing with God is concerned, our failures do not matter. Jesus Christ has obeyed God on our behalf and has clothed us with his own righteousness. We can face without despair the evidence of our own sinfulness, confident that we have a Redeemer whose blood keeps on cleansing us. We are not doomed to live with our immaturities forever. The mighty Spirit is working within us, subduing our indwelling sin and making us more and more like the Saviour. We can expect to see in ourselves substantial and significant growth and grace. In this life, says Teddy Donnelly, we will become more holy. And yet, we need not make a peace treaty with our sins or settle for second best in our discipleship. God has given us his spirit and provided us with the Bible, prayer, the sacraments, fellowship, suffering and other channels for his power. We must use these means of grace in the joyful expectation that day by day we will be changed from Simon to Peter. What wonderful truth there from Teddy Donnelly. In the book, if you want to look it up, and I suggest you do, is called Peter, Eyewitness of His Majesty. And so in life, we will never be perfect. And yet, as this chapter finishes, It does so, telling us that one day perfection will come. Paragraph 5 states that the will of man is made perfectly and immutably free to good alone in the state of glory alone. In other words, when we arrive in heaven, when we get to see Jesus, when that wonderful and glorious day comes, we will be made perfect. Our wills will no longer be mutable fluctuating between doing that which is good and that which is evil. Our will that day will be made perfect and unchangeable, perfect and immutable, free to good alone forevermore. In 1 John 3 and verse 2, John writes, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And John tells us in Revelation 21 and verse 27 that nothing unclean will ever enter heaven, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. By grace and faith in Jesus, your name is in the Lamb's book of life. And so one day you will stand in glory, made perfect, never to change again, with a will that is free to good alone. And so as men and women of faith, we can truly say that today we have not yet reached our destination. We know the battle of sin, and yet also we know the glorious transformation that God has worked in us. We are thankful for this. We continue to put on the whole armour of God and seek to walk after Christ. We are thankful of his work in us. We are thankful for the fact that tomorrow on Sunday we get to sit and hear the word of God read and preached. We are thankful for our brothers and sisters in the faith who draw alongside us and encourage us and equip us and help us in our walk. We are thankful for the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And we are thankful that one day the Lord's work in sinful wretches like us will be complete. And so the only possible way that we can finish this podcast today is by using the words of Jude in verse 24 of his letter. Now to him 
who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. Amen. And we thank God today that he is not finished with us yet. To underline today's teaching, here are some questions. Question 1. What is the dramatic change brought about when God converts a sinner? Question 2. Salvation is just a get-out-of-hell-free card. True or false? And give reasons for your answer. Question 3. Why do Christians still sin? Question 4. Give biblical evidence that we can be confident that we are being transformed despite the evidence to the contrary. And question 5. When can we expect the will of man to be made perfect and immutable? That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn. And until next time, this we confess. <laughs> <laughs>